Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Mad Mamluks. I'm Mahin. I'm here with my co-hosts, Sheikh Amr Saeed and Sim. And today, calling in from beautiful, sunny Southern California, is Kareem Sarajuddin, the founder and the president of Nor Human Consulting. Kareem has a BA in psychology and religion and a master's in East-West psychology with specialization in spiritual counseling. He's a certified life and relationship coach with years of teaching and consulting experience. So, Kareem, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on uh, uh, this afternoon. We're getting snowed in here, but um, I'm not going to hold that against you since you're living in probably the high life down in SoCal. <laughs> you don't have snow there, I assume, actually, right? Actually, Bay Area, and uh, well, we pay for it, so... <laughs> hey, at least you have options. I mean, Newark Consulting must be a pretty profitable gig, I take it, then. You know, seven-figure income, probably. Doing all right, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, So, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, the first thing I noticed was, you said your name is Sirajuddin, but then it's spelled like Sarah Gelden. Like, let me guess, you're Afghani, right? Bay Area? Um, no, but uh, very good educated guess. Talk to us a little bit about your, about your family background, then, just so our listeners can get an idea. Um, sure, sure. Um, so I was born and raised in Massachusetts. Um, my parents uh, were born and raised in Cairo, but um, we are basically uh, Turkish, Arab, and uh, Egyptian uh, mix. Our that, that was my guess. That was Sim's guess. I thought Sheikh yeah. Amr got that. No, no, no so Sim, Sim got, got that. that. I agree oh, yeah. with him because I agree with whatever he says. It's the spelling. You have to you have to look at the spelling, and you, you know exactly where people's nationalities are. Mm. Right. That's what happens when I grew up in Ohio and not only exposed to like white folks. <laughs> Anyways, how how did you get into this line of work? This uh, you know, this is not a this is an up and coming up and coming field in the Muslim community, right? But you know, yeah. you, you're probably I'm guessing our age. You you probably grew up in a time when the only thing the only options you had were doctor, engineer, and you decided to do this route. So what's up with that? Well, yeah, I decided to be a um, professional martyr as I like to put it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, nowadays it's becoming almost, you know, um, it's becoming uh, more popular or Muslim communities are becoming more aware of the field. And I'm just like, yes, thank you. Finally, alhamdulillah, you know, I've been kind of on this island for the last 20 years. But um, I mean, to be frank, I actually knew I wanted to go into the field of psychology since age 16. Um, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. There wasn't any of this like, well, I failed out of engineering school, so I'll just be a psychologist, you know. Um, I knew from early age I was, you know, very fascinated by people, cultures. Um, I grew up in very diverse communities. Um, obviously, you know, my parents being immigrants, and I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of other immigrant families. I went to Roman Catholic school in Boston for several years, and then I ended up living in a... Um, uh, a very conservative Jewish town for most of my life uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, shout out to my Sharonite brothers and sisters. And um, yeah, and so I've always kind of been very fascinated by multiculturalism and religion and human sciences. So alhamdulillah, that's what I've always been kind of drawn to. And I've been dedicated to learning and enhancing myself and in, in, in those departments uh, ever since. All right, very good. Now, you've got a couple of specialties I want to talk to you about. Now, one thing that we were talking a little before the show, spiritual psychology, like what exactly is going on there? Like, what does that mean? Like, explain to our listeners, because that's that seems like a very vague term, right? When you hear it and just, you know, it's hard to like really put your heads or put our head around it. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, so spiritual psychology, um, also known as transpersonal psychology, um, essentially it's basically the cross-section of, you know, the study of the self, you know, the mental processes of the human being, emotions, behaviors, etc., but also keeping in mind that there is a spiritual dimension to the human condition, um, which isn't necessarily present in a lot of modern models uh, of psychology and the approach to the human condition, which I think is um, one of the concerns when you do have, mashallah, like more Muslims going into the field, uh, they're actually being indoctrinated um, by many concepts and principles about the human condition, which if you look closely to them, um, they contradict some of the values of, for example, the Quranic worldview, right? So my whole thing has been, well, let's make sure that psyche is not removed out of psychology, because psyche in ancient Greek actually means soul and self. In fact, it has many of the same meanings as nefs does in Arabic. Okay, so like, does that, you know, I'm trying to, again, wrap my head around this concept. Does How does that work, practically speaking? Like, Okay, I, I want to give you an example, right? Let, let's let's walk through this example. This is a real-life example that happened at work. Um, water cooler talk, kind of, that I'll bring to the, to the podcast. <laughs> so I've got this coworker, right? Young kid. He's like, you know, early 20s. And, you know, been with us about a year or so. And he has a reputation of being a player. You know, like, messing around with girls all the time. And, but he's Asian. He's from an Asian background. Um, when you say Asian, you mean like, like East Asian, like Chinese, okay. Chinese, right? And you know, was a, did a whole, you know, said. And I, I, I remember a couple. I remember when I first hired him. I was like, I asked him, like, we were at lunch, and I asked him, like, very frankly about like how it is to be a player, like just the hell of mindset. Mm-hmm. And you know, he explains to me all this stuff, and I was like, yeah, but you're Asian, and you only mess with like white girls. And, like, I thought white girls aren't in the Asian guys. Like, yeah, but I'm, like, confident and, like, I played football in high school. And, then, okay. So then I find out that, no, this is all made up. He all made he made this stuff all up. Because I found his, his buddy from high school works with us, too, and spilled the beans. And it all kind of jived up because we found out he just made, he's pretty much lying. And this is actually not his first coworker I've had, like, completely make up a story about his entire life, you know, his background. Just to, like, kind of fit in. So... And when I think about that, I'm like, this guy's got a lot of insecurities. Um, there's probably some immigrant issues happening because he comes from the very, you know, a lot of Asian families, even if they're not religious, they're very conservative, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, dealing with that and trying to fit in to suburban culture, suburban high school, etc. And, you know, trying to come off this image because that's the cool thing to do. And I, and one thing, my, my epiphany was like, alhamdulillah for Islam because, you know, when we were growing up, and I'm sure Sim and Sheikh Amr can talk about it as well, like even if we went to public high schools, we could easily say, yeah, we don't mess with girls because we're Muslim, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and people never like took that as a negative thing. They're like, okay, that's what's something you guys just don't do. Whereas if a non-religious dude says that, like, I don't mess with girls, man, you're a loser, man, you're gay, this or that, you got issues, you ain't got no game, all this other stuff, and that's probably what's a contributing factor to this guy, you know, kind of making up this image that he's just to try to, you know, come across as like, not, not oh, you're a loser, basically. Yeah, basically, people, right. People, yeah. So the, uh, uh, when you were talking, I, that example kind of just hit my head. And I was just like, maybe that's kind of what you're talking about. But is it really like just maybe an example would be a good way for us to kind of like dove into the subject a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So 
I think a, a very simple way to understand, you know, transpersonal spiritual psychology is, is exactly what you said. In other words, you have an extra layer of meaning and resources and guidance for the human experience. So as soon as you take religion and spirituality out of the picture, that, that's no longer a technology that you can access anymore, right? And when that happens, um, I, I think what happens is you, you fall now into what I call the horizontal plane of existence. In other words, your whole life's meaning and what you're pursuing and how you're going to find fulfillment and the standards you're living up to, i.e., you know, being a player is cool and, and you know, um, uh, hitting the, the highest part of the social hierarchy that you happen to be a part of is basically all you focus on. Um, it takes away from exactly what the term transpersonal means, which means beyond your personhood, right? Beyond yourself. So it actually in- enhances the radius of which you interpret and make meaning of your own existence and, of course, the world. And if you have, of course, religion and spirituality in your life, you recognize that there is more to your reality than just the material or horizontal um, causations or effects, if you will. So this individual that you're speaking about, I mean, he's doing something that is, you know, quite natural, right? Because we're social creatures um, in high school uh, work. All of these are basically social structures where for the first time the human being um, can actually start to navigate their sense of existence and value in the world. And so if I grew up in a high school where being cool meant being a player and doing drugs and, you know, hooking up with as many women as possible then that might be something that I, you know, go towards because that is the meaning that has been established by the social structure. And people who don't fall into some of these groups or, you know, um, tribes, if you will, uh, they're the ones that are considered alienated or outside, right, of, of what is considered a society in high school. So I think, you know, high school is definitely one of the first places where any individual um, really kind of tests their sense of value and the predictability of their future survival in the world, because high school is kind of a microcosm for the greater society that we live in. What's this uh, horizontal plane that you were talking about? That, because it seemed like you were talking about the horizontal plane is something that uh, after you strip Islam and, and all the uh, the other concepts from you or from the self, the horizontal plane is basically the, the core being of you, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, try to explain it to me like I'm five years old uh, is, is what I'm trying to say. The, the, so if we use kind of the analogy of, you know, um, you know, the horizontal plane is basically when you consider life to be only what you see in front of you, right? So okay. in other words, if I have anxiety about, you know, um, money, my anxiety comes from the fact that I'm thinking, man, the bills are too high and I'm not getting paid enough or my, I'm not going to get that raise or what if I don't get a job at a college? And all the anxiety comes from just thinking about the horizontal mechanisms or processes, right? In other words, I get money because I have to get a job, which is true. But as Mu'minin, for example, we have the vertical and the internal, right? Vertical is Iman and recognizing that you know, there is a, a source that, that controls and generates every atom in the universe and that this is a source that we also harness when we need material things, not just the material procedures, but also the, the metaphysical procedures as well. So when you take that out, now you really believe that everything in the world comes to you because of the world rather than recognizing the world is a means for the creator of the world. 
Subhanallah. Does that deep, make brother. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, and that, you know, you brought up an amazing point. Um, working with the, the reality in front of you, and that that's something that we need to, every one of us have have to work on in terms of um, dealing with everyday anxieties and and pressures and and when you when you look at the reality that's ahead of you or, or right in front of you, and instead instead of worrying about you know the ifs and well what if I lose my job or what if and making decisions based on these what ifs, you know that causes so many problems that can damage your life yeah and and i think i think exactly what you're talking about just to add on to that um i think what gave the 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 prophet's prophethood one of the characteristics within ibn ibrahim salam that made him gave him the title hanif is he was able to see things for what they are right that's mm. what that's a very very difficult thing us as human beings to have dealt with ever since humans were born seeing things for what they actually are because you can avoid yeah. lots of things lots of psychiatric issues lots of spiritual issues and the soul and everything and all of the above if you can see things for what they are you, you know and I, I i was having this conversation with my, with my daughter recently i was trying to explain to her we can say that you know we can say look for look at things for what they really are yeah but if you're not a truthful person you're right you're not going to ever see the the thing for what it really is for what it really is it's not going to be the truth will not be apparent to you because you're you're so used to deceiving yourself yeah. and, and, and that's i that's i mean it's a it's an elementary concept that we're taught not right. to lie the reason why we're not taught to lie in islam is because you'll eventually that domino effect of you won't even know what's real and what's not eventually exactly you know what i'm saying allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us don't forget allah right. or else he'll in turn make you forget yourself right and right. a lot of that has to do with not truthful. I mean, it seems very simple, just a simple lie. But that tells you something about the self, right? The self is used to hiding things, you know, of, and then that becomes a manifestation, right? It, it was, I was just wanted to add to that. It's so fascinating that, you know, the example, for example, of being honest, you know, that it's actually not easy to be dishonest. Like it takes a lot of practice and skills to be able to lie through your teeth and keep a straight face and not have your heart rate go up and, you know, your body temperature sure. rise, right? And subhanAllah, this is like a divine mechanism right. that when we are going That's against true. the sacred, there's actual, you know, built-in mechanisms that don't respond so well, you yeah. see? And this goes back to the concepts that we have like fitra, right? The natural disposition that we believe in. Uh, the human uh, being good and inclined towards what is sacred and, and good and true and beautiful. And so I, I kind of, my geeky way of terming this is T of AR, the true perception of actual reality, because there's two parts to that, right? The can first you say, is, I'm sorry, can you, you got, you got cut off. Can you say the acronym one more time, please? Yes, oh, yeah. TP of AR, TP true, true of AR. perception okay. of actual reality. Hmm. So because there's two parts, right, to at least from, from a psychological standpoint is, okay, my perceptive frameworks, which is how I make meaning of existence in the world, are they true, right, or are they deluded in and of themselves? Because if that's the case, then I'm not, it's going to be very difficult for me to extract, you know, truth or meaning or beauty. And then there's of actual reality, because reality is also rel relative to my perceptive frameworks. So you need to have both. Right. Understand what actual reality is, which is what I think, you know, sacred teachings offer humankind, at least from, you know, a religious standpoint. And then true perception, which is goes back to being honest and sincere within your own subjective, you know, processes of making meaning of the world. And and the kind of one example that I would love to always share from Quran is it's so fascinating to me how, 
you know, um, you have people that the NBA basically gave them miracles and showed them things, you know, that was so clear that they were trustworthy and honest people with their claim of, of prophecy. And there were still people who perceived it and said, no, that's magic or that's false or I don't, I don't buy it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show you the power of the mind and the power of how the human being makes meaning of his existence. And that's really one of the spaces I'm very fascinated by because in the end of the day, it always comes down to how we make meaning of things, how we interpret what's our intentions. That's how you can get groups that, you know, do horrible, horrendous things and they read from the same religious text and you get people who don't do those things at all, but they're also drawing meaning and values from the same religious text. Yeah, and just just to summarize that for, for for the listeners is that, you know, if you don't understand the reality correctly, you're making all the decisions based on a false reality. Um, I, I always talk about, you know, the this binge-watching culture where we, you know, watch shows after shows through Netflix, and we're, we're having a generation being raised based off of false data, stuff that's not real, and they're going to be making decisions based on scenarios that they've seen in movies and TV shows because they haven't gone out and right. and well, met with real human beings and haven't had real world interactions. You know, these these are real problems that are, are that will manifest if they haven't already. We're, we're probably seeing yeah. some of the 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 birth pangs of these uh, this type of behavior and this type of culture that we're kind of um, cultivating here. Yeah, Kareem, you know, totally. I'd like to get to, again, to tie it back to practicality. You know, obviously, we're not talking about names here, but when you when your clients come to you with issues in the context of spiritual psychology, like what are like the top two or three issues that, you know, are are they coming? Are, are they kids? Are they like parents dealing with their kids who have identity crises and stuff? Um, you know, what, what's going what's really going on on the ground floor here? I mean, there's a lot of things, but um you know, just to share three, um, I think number one is there's there's a general lack of literacy in the Islamic tradition, right? Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's not like, oh, people don't pray or, or go to the mosque and listen to lectures and, and watch stuff. But I feel like, you know, um, if you're not able to extract um, values and principles that are relevant to your life, then, you know, what exactly is the point? So, for example, when, I mean, uh, may Allah for, forgive us uh, all and guide us all because we all have our challenges, but, you know, simple example, it's like, you know, a family contacts me and they're really struggling with some of their, you know, children. Um, our children are smoking weed and they got girlfriends and we don't know what to do. We don't know what went wrong. And, and I'm asking some follow-up questions. Okay, so what's what's the story? Are they in college? Are they at home? Oh, they're, they're at home. They're not even in school. Okay, are they working? Yes, they're working. Okay, where are they working? They're working with, in the family business. Okay, what's the family business? We sell alcohol. Oh, wow. You know, and it's like, subhanAllah, I mean, to me, it's very common. It's common sense. It's very clear. It's like, where's the barakah? But for some Muslims out there that, and these are Muslims that are still, you know, they love Allah and his messenger, you know, to, to the degree that they, you know, they do. And Allah knows best. They, they are involved with the communities and so on and so forth. But there are cases, for example, like this. And uh, it's like, okay, hasn't the boat, know, so hasn't, sometimes you got to go back to the foundations. Hasn't the boat sailed with those type of people who contact you and tell them, tell you about like, um, you know, their, their kids straying off the 
the good path, basically. Yeah, because the kid's know? like 20 years old, right? 21, yeah, right? I mean, not even, well, what, what kind yet. of repair are you going to do now? You know, even as a counselor or as a mentor or whatever role they want you to be for, for this child's life, uh, what kind of repair can be done at that point? Well, there can always be a possibility for transformation, right? We know this. Um, if there wasn't, then really there's no point to most of the kind of psychological um, uh, themes in our dean. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, this, the ship has sailed, but it's definitely very far away from the dock and it's going to take time for it to come back to the dock and get back on land and get grounded again, you know, but, um, there are, are there other cases where similarly, you know, you may have younger people who, um, had a very difficult, uh, time being aligned to sacred values or the Islamic tradition, but alhamdulillah, you know, of course with Hidayah from Allah and, um, some sincerity, uh, they were able to kind of realign their lives with, you know, what really matters, if you will. Uh, Kareem, have you met with uh, a lot of uh, younger kids from immigrant background, uh, parents uh, who, who've had, you know, difficulty in, in terms of having their parents kind of relate to some of the problems that they're having? I know when I was growing up in this country, I had a, a lot of those kind of issues when I had difficulty, whether it was socially or, or or what have you. I my dad wanted to understand what I'm going through, or he wanted to send me to a therapist. And you know, I, I was just an angry rock and roll rebel, you know, and and uh, I just wanted to rebel against everything. And uh, he he wanted to send me to a counselor, but he never understood that my relationship with that counselor counselor would that counselor would never understand that I'm a Muslim and I have these struggles that I'm battling with my religion as well as uh, social pressures, you know? So how, how do those three dynamics come into play? You have immigrant parents who don't really understand how you're being raised up. Then you have the, um, the, the Western um, culture that's really pushing you in one direction. And then, then you don't have anyone else to talk to about it. But then now there's groups like you, um, like Noor Consulting in, in uh, the Bay Area over here in Chicago. We have the Khalil Center. Um, wh- wh- how, are, how are you handling those type of uh, patients? Well, yes, it, it is a common uh, pattern. Uh, I think what any naturally, when, when, when any family or, or set of parents come from another country, they are carrying with them you know, values and traditions. Um, which help construct their identity. And when they come to a new society, there is a level of threat there, right, for self-preservation. And um, so I like to define traditions as, you know, it's it's the passing on of values and customs and, and beliefs and behaviors. Uh, but traditionalism is when that gets dogmatic and it becomes, um, you know, closed-minded. It's like, no, this is the only way you're ever going to do things. And sometimes that causes even more of a rift with the children um, because they feel that they have to follow this package of customs and values which they see all around them is not really uh, how things go, right, in America. Um, <clears throat> so, of course, they start to feel this distance, this lack of understanding, um, this lack of connection with their parents. 
Um, I think this also happens on the religious front because, again, many of our religious understandings and, and practices are kind of conflated with the cultural patterns of our country. And, and so we bring that kind of all in one bundled package. But like, for instance, when I get questions like parents saying, you know, my kids don't pray, you know, why, what do we do? And I always ask the parents, I never make it about the kids because it starts with the parents, right? And every mosque I go to, it's the same thing, right? We need more youth, youth programs and the youth and the youth. I'm like, you know, the youth are a product of you, you know? So what are, what are you guys doing, you know, as, as adults, as the leaders? And we need to make sure that it's not always just about the youth because the youth are just a reflection of what's happening on the adult level. You know, what kind of uh, community and environment are we creating at our masajid. Um, not to say that all of them are bad, but you know, this is one of the reasons why youth don't go, right? Or they struggle with it. Um, so for example, when parents say, you know, my kids don't pray, what do I do about it? I ask the parents, I say, why do you pray? And they say, because Allah commanded it. And I said, well, why does Allah command it? Well, if he doesn't need you to pray, he doesn't need your prayer. And they don't know how to answer. They say, that's exactly what my son says. I'm like, well, that's a sign from Allah that you need to substantiate your own beliefs and practices. SubhanAllah. Wow. Mm, okay. I, th- th- that makes a lot of sense. I, I want to move on to the, the other specialty that you are kind of known for that you, that you work on is, is marriage. And there's, marriages of, there's a lot of issues with marriage, right? Um, but I, I want to talk from the context and we'll, we'll try to like illustrate. I'll let you illustrate the sister's perspective as best as possible, but I want to be straight up here from the guy's perspective, religious brothers that like we're all friends with, alhamdulillah, and you know, whether it's me growing up in Ohio or, you know, Sheikh Amr and Sims crew here in Chicago, all these guys, you know, we all from, we we are, you know, got into the Dean. We've always like avoided like dating and stuff like that. And then we get into college and, you know, I remember back in the day, it was always about, remember college? I was like, yeah, man, I'm getting, I gotta get married, man. I gotta get married, <laughs> you know? And as, as dudes, like there's only one reason you try and get married because you, you're trying to get laid. Yeah. You know, halal context. Halal sucks. Yeah. Halal. Yeah. Right. I mean, you don't know anything else about it, but you, you know. You told him he can say whatever he wants. So to get ready. You know, so like, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of it is like, because in, you know, and the reality is that it's like, and we've seen. You know, and this happens for the sisters too. I've heard sisters like they grow up watching Bollywood movies and they think their husband's gonna be like Shahrukh Khan or some dude, you know, some like good looking guy, you know. And as good guys, we we watch mo- like random movies, but there's always like random sex scenes and stuff, and it looks awesome. And then you get married and you're like, man, this is whack. <laughs> this is like how it looks like. This is how it's supposed to be. And then like, and, and then you, you would talk to some guys who are like been married for a few years, and they're like, yeah, man, I gotta negotiate with my wife every time. It's like maybe once a month. And then you, from the sister's perspective, it's like, well, my husband, he, he's out of shape and fat now, and you know he don't do no chores around the house. So I'm not attracted to him no more. <laughs> and then like you, you, you got you got this you, you got this vicious cycle here, and you know the husbands, you know, because I don't know how I don't know how girl when girls are growing up, you know, I don't know what their mindset is towards marriage because like they're obviously agreeing they married some dude when they're 23, so there's probably they probably feel there's some incentive there. And guys, straight up, we're just, we're, you know, hey, you know, we 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 we, we trying to get it on, you know, <laughs> and then and then when you get married, and then like that last six months to a year, or whatever, depending on how long your honeymoon phase is, and then it just like dies, you know, and then you got you, you throw kids to the mix, and then you know, <laughs> you know, it it, it, it just, just and then you got this whole social pressure from what you hear in the media, this and that, you grow, it's in your head. You know, of how we should be. Like, we were joking the other day about, like, how there, there should be some kind of quota. 
that we, that you know it should be part of the prenup or something like <laughs> the wife's got to put out at least twice a week <laughs> or ain't happening you know what i mean and then we talk and then like we asked Mashaik about it, like, well, isn't the woman supposed to submit to the husband? I'm like, yeah, but if you keep pushing this, this, this could be rape. I'm like, what? For real? I, I want to get out the guy. This is what the brothers are saying in our community. The practicing brothers, we're complaining because. Wait, wait, what do you mean we, man? It's big field sales. Shake Amr's got it on lock, alhamdulillah. But like 95% of the rest of us, you know, we got issues, man. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we tackle this? What's going on here? Quite the venting that was. <laughs> my wife does not listen to our podcast what, for the what most exactly, part what exactly do you want to tackle a more frequent satisfying sexual life yes exactly let's start there okay <laughs> well um, you know but before we do that I think you know let's talk about the prevention right Prevent, uh, preventive, preventive me- measures um, what's happening often is what I call microwavable marriages right it heats up fast but it you know it cools down very quick and Basically, many of us, like you said, men and women, we have unhealthy and immature narratives about what marriage is, what love is, and we create these, you know, unrealistic expectations. And of course, our suffering and letdown is proportionate to those unrealistic expectations. And I hear this from both sides, right? But here's here's a nice analogy. Um, you know, when men want to get married, they want a garden which they can go and put some seeds into, right? And once they get married, they're like, woohoo, I've got this, you know, blank patch of awesome soil. You know, they're beautiful, they're fair skin, they're whatever, you know, the checklist that my parents made sure I followed was fulfilled. And here's my patch. And then we go and we, when we put the seed in, um, and then we keep coming back and we're wondering why it's all just soil. Mm. It's something that has to be nurtured. Love is not something you find, ladies and gentlemen. There is no love corner or object, you know. Love is something you have to grow. And so you need to water it. It needs sunlight. It needs proper care. You see, this is not, it's not some magical sparkling formula that just like, well, where is it now? Like, what happened? Oh, I guess I'm not in love anymore. Let's get a divorce or let's start emotionally cheating with the guy or the secretary at the office. And eventually, oh, brothers, oh, I'm just going to get another wife, man. That's going to solve everything, right? Even though you don't even know how to handle one, right? So what's going on? And that's exactly where I try to come in is we don't know basic things about gender psychology. You know, what are the top needs of men and women, you know, generally speaking, right? There's a bell curve. Um, so these are the things I ask people, you know, when they're like, oh, I'm ready to get married. And it's like, okay, what are the top needs of women? I don't know. So how are you ready to get married? Because getting ready to have sex is not the same thing as get, getting ready to, ha- uh, to be married. In fact, we all know, us married brothers, that having sex is an extremely small percentage of most of the hours you put into a family, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so I always say we spend a ton of money and energy planning the wedding party and how we're going to show off to our communities. You know, not everybody, but I'm, again, talking about the unhealthy themes. Uh, but we don't spend a dime in the actual relationship. A lot of guys will will actually say that sex is actually just a, a biological trap built into men to uh, to get married or to be with women, or else they would never be want to be around women in general. Is it is that <laughs> is that some uh, something that you hear often or? Well, I I mean I definitely believe, and so one of the things I I, oft, I offer clients is this model of healthy masculinity and 
the yin and yang, you know, bringing back the yin and yang in marriages. And I believe that the feminine powers uh, is a beautiful phenomenon. And there's a lot of wonderful traits there. And perhaps it's one of the reasons why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, you know, there are three things of this world that's so beloved to him. What are they, gentlemen? Uh, scent, honey, and woman, right? I think Good. sajda, the seeing people in sajda besides the honey. But yes, women, right? And so what did he mean by that, right? And we know that it's not just, oh, because women are, are beautiful um, creatures that we're attracted to, but it's also because of the qualities that they have as beings, which is very beautiful because they do represent a lot of um, powerful themes and kind of the gift of life uh, that we also recognize in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim are the dominant names of God. He could have, you know, used different names at the beginning of, of the surahs of the Quran, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to use Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. There's no Bismillah Al-Kareem Al-Majid. Right. And so there, there's something to it. Right. Raham and womb. You know, it's there's a connection there to this idea of the feminine power is the life giving force. It's a nurturing force. It's the egg, you know, of of families and, and families are the cells of society. And what's sad is today, you know, a lot of women feel like if they are just a housewife or a mother, that this is just, you know, there's no value, right? And and modern society kind of craps on this. And it's really disappointing because I sometimes, when sisters call me for some advice or something, they're like, I'm like, so what do you do, sister? You know, how do you serve the world? She's like, oh, I'm just a house mom or I'm just a mother. I'm like, don't say that, you know, have have integrity. And, you know, you you are very honorable. You know, don't right. don't look at it as like you're pathetic because you're just, you know, you're not working full time, right? And so... You know, I, I think that we just have a lot of um, skewed ideas about what it means to be, you know, a man and a woman today. And uh, this, as Muslims, it's even more sophisticated because, A, we've got all the kind of postmodern constructs surrounding us in Western society. And then we have the very Eastern, you know, values and customs, which some of them are valuable and, and healthy and good, and some of them are not. So we're kind of dealing with all of these uh, different uh, influences which I think a lot of people are just come down to it. They're just confused on right. what it means to be whatever, you know, a man and a woman. And we know that nowadays it's like, you know, we're even taught when I was studying psychology, it's like, okay, your biology, your sex is, uh, you know, biological, but um, your gender role is something that you can just choose and make up and decide later. Right. right. And it can be totally contrary to your physiological makeup. Mm. So we're just living in an age where all these things are no longer clear. Right. And I think that like any of us, we Muslims, we, we go to we always go to these nice schools for the most part. We, we try to, you know, go to the best of the best. And we don't realize we're going to be indoctrinated by many of these concepts and values, whether we like it or not. And if we've never had good talks with our parents or guidance around, you know, what it means to be in a marriage, how what does it mean to, you know, understand male and female psychology? It's just, you know, Bismillah, they're a doctor. They come from our country. They speak our language. And uh, go ahead, let's throw a nice uh, party and, and make it happen and, and good luck. Now, I, I have a theory uh, and I know, you know, you being a psychologist, you know that we try to peel back, uh, psychologists try to peel back what, what is the underlying cause for behaviors, right? Uh, and my theory is that we have so many problems in marriage because of a culture of selfishness that is that is developing all over the world. It's not just in the West. I want to say the West, but it's not just the West. Yeah. It is around the whole, is engulfing the whole world that, you know, worry about me, 
and my needs first, and then I'll worry about you. I mean, narcissism, basically. Yeah. Well, let me take care of my my plate first, and then I'll take care of you. Before I share my food with you, I want to make sure I have enough to fill my belly. You know? So I think that, that kind of attitude is permeating marriages, too. Let me have my... Let's just be blunt about it. Let me have my orgasm first before I take care of your emotional needs, uh, right. wife. Right. So, so don't you think so some of these underlying um, social problems are kind of permeating our, our marriage, our marriages? Absolutely. I mean, again, there's so many variables going on, and um, definitely, you know, when you grow up in the West, it's it's very individualistic. And that's not always a bad thing. But of course, an extreme of that does develop these very selfish, narcissistical, like I'm automatically the queen or I'm the king and my love is conditional, right? right? Once you do everything I want, then I'll start doing what you want. And that's not really marriage or a healthy marriage, right? That's that's selfishness disguised in partnership. And so one of the things I try to, a practical technique I try to share with couples is, okay, why don't you be, let's practice being um uh, having, uh, uh, I call it selfish selflessness, selfish selflessness. And the, and the, uh, the equation is simple. If I prioritize my wife's needs and try to fulfill them, naturally she will reciprocate mine. And this of course works when two people genuinely love each other. They're, they're sincere and they really wish well for one another, which is one of the meanings of, you know, wedda. Right, al-wadud, and so this idea is, you know, if I really want to, you know, do what my wife's uh, needs are or what what she requires to be fulfilled, I trust that naturally she will also fulfill my needs. You see, so this is how you create that self-generating yin and yang. But the first step is we need to understand who we are, what's our nature, and what's our personality temperament, and of course our partners, and then that's where the real kind of um, uh, work comes is how do we actually manifest uh, this ex- this mutual exchange that's fulfilling? Because uh, a lot a lot of people when they they want to get married, I'm like, okay, brother, what do you you know? They're all I'm like, what are you looking for? Like, oh, I want the, all these things, right? And I'm like, well, what could, what do you have to offer? By the way, what are you even bringing to the table, right? Yeah. And m- many people don't think about the other side. Like, they're just looking for how is this person going to be utilized for my own needs and my own fulfillment, rather than also thinking about what do I have to actually give. Yeah, just to recap on that on the, on the hadith because it's still ringing in my ears uh, about Rasulullah but the three things that he loved the most because they uh, have a certain type of reflection of our insides. You know, when he said tib, things that smell good, and Nisa women, and he said fi salah, right? And the coolness of my eyes is in prayer, right? Every single one of these. If you have a love for them in a certain way, reflects your insides. Like, I mean, you could even uh, expound upon this far better than any of us can. As psych- psychologically, why does somebody want to always? If somebody always wants to smell good, what's embedded within them that that causes them to do that? Right? It's actually in Islam, it's considered a spiritual thing, right? Mm-hmm. That somebody they, they always want to smell good. And Rasulullah as we know, that he used to a lot of his income he used to spend. On, on, on scent more than his own clothing, you know? And then as far as women, the perspective that you gave was awesome. Because somebody who is an enemy of Islam, if they think, oh, he loved women, then they'll take that discussion a certain direction. But if you look at it, 
as your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that goes in a completely different direction, right? The, the way we want it to go, obviously. And then he equated all of that, or he brought up in the same hadith that as prayer, like the coolness of my eyes is in prayer. So he's talking about everything that's satisfactory. Yet, if you have a certain direction with these things, it shows the reflection of the inside of the individual, right? I mean, we're not judging anybody. We're not. But if you know somebody that's known to not really ever smell uh, uh, pleasant, rather, let's say you're praying next to somebody and they smell unpleasant, not only does your mind start wandering away from your prayer, you start kind of thinking about the person where you're supposed to be concentrating on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It takes, it actually, smelling good actually brings khushua towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know what I'm saying? So I, I thought it was very interesting. Somebody who who uh, specialized in psychology and family just you know just threw that in there. I think that was phenomenal, man. Uh, j- just to tie things back, w- what you last said, you know, having that open, con- honest conversation with yourself and trying to understand, you know, who you are and why you're you're having problems within your marriage. It, it takes that 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 honesty that we were talking about earlier in the podcast when you're looking at the reality of things around you. You have to be an honest individual in order to even have that honest conversation mm. with yourself, because there's a lot of people who say that you know they're they're having an honest conversation when they're not. They're they're yeah. just you know uh, I'm looking at all their strong points and, and ignoring all their good all their weaknesses, all their yeah. weaknesses that they need to work on. You know, so uh, that that was an interesting point that you mentioned um, just now. It was, okay. it was. There's one thing that um. By the way, I gotta get a disclaimer here, just because I'm ranting about it. Like, me and my friends have very frank conversations. I don't want anyone to get the impression that this is my own personal, you know, beef with my wife or anything like that. Of course. Of you course. know, but so I just, I just want to throw it out there. No, but, you, like, you, as you, guys, we, you know, we, we definitely talk about this stuff. Yeah, and, and, I, and if, this, if there's sisters listening, this is how, this is what happens when, you know, you always want to hear guys or, and what, what happens when we're kind of talk, talking behind closed doors. We, we're, we're letting you know these are the conversations that happen. Yeah. It's not necessarily you know, ideas or beliefs that we hold, but, you know, in order to have the discussions that we have on the Mad Mom Looks and you, you can't hear this in other places is, is having open dialogue and letting you, everyone in on what's, uh, what's happening behind closed doors. Yeah, and, and just also for this, to let the sisters know, we, everyone, a majority of people that I know and ourselves, if we ever discuss stuff, we don't talk about personal things you know, what happens in the bedroom because Rasulullah he prohibited us from talking about those things. So we have to also, even though we some brothers or sisters, for that fact, may be venting, we always refrain from talking about personal specific issues about what happens with our spouses because that's just, that's completely un-Islamic. We don't do that. But generally speaking about things to get, you know, uh, you know, consultations from your brothers, that's that's fine, you know. But we even that Islam asks us to be noble in that situation. It, it probably like would benefit us. I think you know, uh, Sister Summer is one of our hosts, and maybe we should we can have a, a show with her and maybe another someone from a female perspective as a guest yeah. talking about that because you know that that way we just cover all the bases. I think of course yeah. you know because certainly there's there's expectations like as guys we, we, we're we're very like you know when I, when I talk to my friends it's like it's like yeah some of us it depends on who you are. Some of us get used to it. Like, yeah, like Sim alluded to, like, our, our, we're selfish in the sense that, yeah, we just want to get off. And sometimes we only need that once a week or once every two weeks. And so that, and it only takes like 10 minutes, sorry, if that. So, you know, we're able to, like, you know, ignore our duties for like two weeks. Like, oh, snaps, I got to get off. <laughs> and then, like, done, back to doing, being two weeks of doing nothing. Yeah. Right? Or not, or not contributing to the relationship. Uh, you know, mm. and 
one 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 thing I will highlight um that uh maybe we can talk a little bit about more like you know um there's this concept called the love tank theory or like you know it's like having a gas tank yeah you know marriage is like you 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 always want to be in a black you don't want to be in a red and you know and a lot of that it's investing into the relationship and i will get, uh, like and we don't talk about personal stuff in a negative way i, I want to give you a personal example humbly my wife i think like got a lot of brownie points for me um so inshallah we're going for umrah inshallah right and my wife, for those of you guys who don't know me, is a gynecologist. She, she makes the bank in the house. I, 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 I'm just along for the ride. I'm just kind of like, you know, you know, there. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I, I make a good living too, alhamdulillah. But like, gynecologist, you know, a physician. They, you don't got to explain. We know. They, what they make a lot more than engineers, right? <laughs> so inshallah, we're going for Umrah, right? Inshallah, we're going in a couple of weeks. And, you know, my my dad hits me up. He's like, hey, can your mom come with you? And I'm like. Well, yeah. He's like, "Oh, can you pay for it too?" I was like, "Uh, I'm broke," and so I, I asked my, I asked my wife, "Listen, my mom wants to come. What, what do you think?" She's like, "Yeah, she can come." I was like, "Yeah, but I, you know," and she's like, "And my wife ended up paying for my wife's, my mom's package, right?" And to me, honestly, I was thinking like, if I was going on vacation, like just to be real, like I would not want my mother-in-law to be there, <laughs> like you know what I mean? And I definitely like cause Umar was like a, a family kind of getaway too. It's not a vacation, but. You know, I really would if I had the power. Like, if let's say I, if I was an investment banker, you know, making crazy amounts of dough, and my and we were gonna go on vacation, my wife's like, you know, can we take my mom with us? I'd probably like not be like too happy. Like, you'd yeah. be enthused about it. I, I, yeah, I'd try to talk her out of it. To be honest, <laughs> like I, I would be like, yeah, and I'm not really down with that. But my wife was like, yeah, she can come. Like, like no hesitation. And I was like, dang. <laughs> <That means. laughs> she, 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 you know um talk a little bit about this you know i don't know if kareem you don't you know what, what, what did you mean by the dang because i wanted just some clarification I, 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 it, it was kind of like you're not like that I, i'm happy that my mom is coming with me for sure like it's, it's, but you wouldn't have been like that if she asked about yeah, her mom yeah exactly because I, I i know that like myself i'd be like yeah man my, it's gonna be a drag you know having my mother-in-law <laughs> with me is not gonna be it's gonna be a drag this and that and yada 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 <laughs> And like you know, in laws are you know we 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 all love our in laws, right? But at the end of the day, you know, there's like uh, there's the in laws or outlaws concept, and, and you know, and, and I. So how, how does this this uh, tie back into your love tank theory, though? She she is invested in love. So oh, for she's, me, she's investing into the love tank, and you're not. Is that what you're yeah, so like I'm like, dang, I gotta like, but but it, but but the reciprocating effect has been like I, I I've like since she's agreed, I've been very conscious of that. Oh, okay. And I, 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 it's forced me to like. It's helping you up your tank game. Yes, exactly. Mm, like okay. I'm using Prime Premium gasoline instead of like that day, 1987 brand. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, but, you know, one of the problems I'm, uh, I have, brother Kareem, I have four kids, and and sometimes being affectionate around my wife is embarrassing. Uh, my my kids get to kind of feel uncomfortable, you know, being uh, if I go in for a hug or anything, you know, that they're, they're uh, and. You know they're they're not uh, they're they're regular kids and they're not like super. We're not a super conservative family like Shahamir here, but I'm not conservative <laughs> either. But uh, well, the, how, how do you be affectionate and and you know put into that love tank when your you know, your kids around and you know there's family around and sometimes we so some of us share family well, with within one household, you know. 
Why, why do you guys think it's a problem to be affectionate in our many of our cultures? Like, why is that a bad thing? It's definitely it's more, not in the Sunnah. Right, you know, right. the Prophet ﷺ was very affectionate and you know made contact with the Sahaba, played with Al Hassan Al Hussein and other children. So why are we saying, well, you know, we just can't do that? Um, why do you guys think that we're held back? Well, I think as ki- if you're a kid, you think it's gross that your parents are doing that stuff. No, I th- I think it's yeah. it maybe yeah. that way. I think it's a lot of it has to do with the ultra conservative upbringing of not being fully transparent with children. You know, mm-hmm. I I personally think you know when we're affectionate with our spouses, um, our kids they see that and they see the love. Like anytime you know, even just I give my wife a hug in front of my daughter, she smiles. You know, she likes it. You know, because she course. sees that communication. Obviously, my, uh, you know, our parents' generation, without mentioning specific examples, that was a really weird thing because they never really, and I think it leads back to not being able to talk to them about anything really because we never got any talks, you know, which is fine. May Allah reward them for the monstrous amount of work they did for us, you know, coming to this country. But we never really got any talks, you know, it was known as the S word and you never really talked to even them about marriage. If you did, it was super uptight and uncomfortable. And that that relationship shouldn't be uncomfortable oh man you know and i i never you know i found out everything either in school through friends i never really had had an opportunity you know but that's just the way that generation was which is totally fine but i think um it it became very weird but with our kids generation it's it's based on their upbringing right if they see their parents affectionate and and it brings more love into the family right you know? but but some, but some of my friends have told me that their wives because they grew up in that conservative environment they never got that talk and as a result they became like prudes <laughs> right i mean just to be blunt about it they're they, they don't like doing certain things and like you know they're i mean i was guy i was telling me one time like Uh-oh. how get ready Kareem. yeah <laughs> guy was telling me one time <laughs> how his wife you know how one of one of the main ways that a guy will that a girl will get off is oral sex like vaginal like stimulation mm-hmm. right via the mouth and you know she's never down for that and that's something you like would read about you like kama sutra will probably tell you the basics of that right or or <laughs> even like he would tell me his co-workers would tell me that's how you that's how you do it man and he's like no man right. she, she's not down for it because that's like considered something weird and gross because of her upbringing like and so so i definitely think that and that's not just one person telling me. I, I mean, I hear that a lot. Guys, I'd like to announce the destruction of Mad Mom Luke from today. <laughs> and then, no, no, but 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 as a but as a but as but but as a result, like so, so this the sister's not getting her, you know, climax right. And now she's like, well, what's it? This stuff is boring. Why do I want to do it? Like it's a chore. Now it becomes a chore for her because, and she's too prude. She's too much of a prude to like, you know, experiment a little bit. You know, I'm sure there's more to it, but that, that's how the guys are seeing. That's how a lot of guys are seeing it too. Akramakum Allah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can relate. I remember once I was, you know, giving a seminar on relationships and there were questions at the end and one brother, I didn't get to him. He had his hand up in the back, um, sitting next to his wife and, uh, you know, the time was up. And then he came up to me after alone and he's like, yeah, brother, I had a question, but you didn't get to call on me because the time was up. But I wanted to ask, why doesn't my wife give me blowjobs? Wow! Wow! All right, Kareem, like, you well, went up hey, to him, Kareem. Thank God you didn't ask that in front of everybody and your <laughs> wife sitting next to you. Uh, and B, you know, his whole thing was like, you know, is it haram and this and that? And we got into the discussion, and I was like, listen, it's it's not about an Islamic, you know, it's not about finding your legal fiqhi justification here, right? And this is a sad thing that some some brothers do is like 
they play the Islam card, right? Oh, it's your obligation and you have to do this and you got to put out and you got to do what I want because, you know, I'm not even supposed to be monogamous anyways, you know, whatever it is. Right? Monogamous anyways. <laughs> so it's like, so, I mean, again, I mean, just look at, for example, let's go back to the, the top needs of research, you know, and even with over a hundred couples that I've worked with, very frequently you find with men, it's sexuality, respect and admiration. Those are at the top. And for women, it's affection and care and openness and honesty, you see. So when women feel emotionally validated um, through affection and care and, and loving gestures, they will naturally be more inclined to, you know, inshallah, explore more of the physical things that men want. And when men feel the emotional connection through their women of being respected and admired, um, they will also naturally want to perform and do things that please their women physically. And of course, everyone's different, right? I mean, if, if you grew up in America and let's say you had the history with pornography or you've even had relationships, your frame of reference and standard for what is considered, you know, healthy sexuality or, or you know, good sexuality is going to be very different from a girl who grew up and you're the first man she's ever seen or touched or thought about in that way. And so we got to be real here with the um, variation in our actual sexual education and backgrounds. And sometimes our sexual education is very unhealthy, right? Like we believe um, we're, our wives are supposed to be porn stars, right? And it's like, we also got to get real about that. Um, and there are some women that are actually very uh, flexible and open to exploring, but it's the men that are, you know, um, very selfish. You know, they're mm. like, thank you. I, I did, I got what I wanted. And now I'm going to go make a sandwich and watch, you know, Mad Mam looks on YouTube. <laughs> so it's like, you, 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 the, you. We, we both have responsibility in understanding our sexuality and what pleases our partners and how to, you know, keep things spicy and healthy. Um, and I mean, I love to use the example of, yani, subhanallah, isn't it true? Umar ibn al-Khattab went to the Prophet Sallallahu and said, O Messenger of God, I entered my wife from the back. I think I'm, I'm doomed. I'm, I'm destroyed. Right? Yeah. And the Prophet Sallallahu you know, clarified. He said, you know, was it from the anal or the vaginal canal? And he said, it's the vaginal. So he said, okay, you're, you're good. You know? But that, that was something Umar went to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said. Yeah. Would we ever go to Imam and go, yo, last night, you know, I had some, you know, I entered my wife from the back and I'm worried about that or, I tried some new position that seems weird and I don't know if it's halal or I, you know, I want to explore oral sex, but I don't know if it's halal. You know, we, most of us would never go to a, a man and even talk about that stuff. But the Sahaba went to the Prophet and asked questions about that, asked questions about sexuality. We know the man who loved zina. He went to the messenger. He's like, man, I love, you know, banging chicks. Like, that's my thing. And, but I, but I also want to be, you know, Muslim. So what do I do? And the Prophet didn't wasn't like, you are disgusting, and how dare you, and I'm the messenger of Allah, and how do you bring this up? And No, he was an educator, he was a counselor, and he connected on that human level. Yeah. And we know that man walked away saying, I haven't seen a better teacher than the Prophet, and I went in loving zina more than anything else, and I walked away hating it more than anything else. Exactly. So the point is, is we don't have dialogue about sexuality. Um, I mean, sexuality is mentioned in the Qur'an. Right. Enter your wives like they're they're a tilth for you, you know, and what's interesting when you know the context here, it's like if a, a sister who, you know, has some, you know, um, feminist slants might look at this verse and go, oh, this is so sexist and blah, blah. It's like, well, do you know, you know, as Baba Nuzul, like what are the reasons why this verse was mentioned? And when actually you, you learn about it, it's it's not um, unhealthy at all. It, in fact, it's 
it's to address the the superstitions of the tribes, the Ansar and the uh, Qurayshis that believe that certain sexual positions meant that it would deform your children or, you know, you're more likely to have a boy if you do this or you don't do that. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was clearing the air and being like, hey, you guys go, go through the whole Kama Sutra, no problem. It's not going to affect the health of your children or what color eyes they're going to have, you know. So we, we don't, we're, we're missing this, you know, in, in our, I think, uh, our, our spaces. And I mean, I would, I would love to get to a point where I, I could, um, have like a class for men to, like, like men to really, you know, do their best to learn about female psychology, how to please them sexually. I mean, a real, like, course on how to do that and vice versa for women, right? It's like women learning about all those things and what does it mean to be a, you know, um, attractive, and, and so on and so forth. And of course, every couple is different. And I'm saying I have all the answers, but I definitely have some of them. And I think that if we get started with just kind of general knowledge and literacy about gender needs and relationships and sexuality, then mashallah, you know, like we're going to be able to um, right. uh, create healthier uh, experiences within the home. I hope you do like start a course because you, you're a good looking dude. I take credit. I take a class with you. Because I think there, there's another class, like one of our former guests. Uh, Wait, you, you, you're going to make a decision about making a class based on his looks? Judging yeah, a book ex- by a exactly, cover? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there's like Like a Garment with Sheikh Yasser Qadi. Sheikh Yasser and I, I've known him for like over 10 years. Uh-oh. But I'm like, yeah, I'm not learning sex from Sheikh Yasser Qadi. Come on, bro. Like, that's not happening. Like, you know, he's an Akira guy. Like, Hadith. It's a, it's a really good uh, a platform that he has on that. Uh, like, like a Garment? garment. It's yeah. A, I mean, the videos even, they're very good videos. But anyway, go ahead, Sim. You were going to say something. No, um, Brother Kareem, you made a an amazing point that you know the elephant in the room is is uh porn and the expectations that that we're having for our partners based on porn is um you know problematic you know unrealistic expectations that we have and that that's just a whole nother problem that we were we're trying to tackle in our communities and it seems like you know problem after problem but um how do you address that that there's so many layers of of, of these you know, selfishness and, and porn and all these other problems that are kind of leading into or, or uh, permeating into our marriages. How do we tackle all these different layers? Well, I mean, you got to start uh, step by step. And, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do is, is address every case, you know, based on its context. But, you know, to put a shout out there to my brothers and sisters at uh, Purify Your Gaze, um, which is a company that I also partner with and do coaching with them. They specialize in sexual addictions for the Muslim community. And so anyone listening out there that knows somebody um, or is struggling themselves, it's it's a very common thing. It doesn't mean you're a disgusting, horrible, evil person, um, but there is help and it's anonymous and you will get, you know, customizable support um, through the modules and, uh, through the coaching. So purify your gaze is, is, in my opinion, a real, um, uh, solution that we have access to today. And it's something that really tries to address just this problem. And addictions in general, of course, because all addictions are the same as far as, you know, the stages or the cycles, whether it's pornography, you know, food, alcohol, drugs, etc. Um, there's usually a deeper wound. Uh, emotional wound or, or void that's trying to be fulfilled uh, to some level. 
And, you know, the reason why we are addicted to anything is because we want to numb ourselves from our actual lives. We want to escape the pain of our actual lives and find a place of pleasure. So what's interesting is with, with brothers, for example, and their sisters too, by the way, who, who struggle with, with sexual addiction. But for example, with brothers, it's like if they approach their wives and they feel let down or, you know, they're not um, interested or they're too tired or whatever it is, um, you know, and this isn't a, to blame the sisters. I mean, being a mom and raising kids is is one of the most difficult jobs in the world. And we can't forget that. Right. Um, so it's not like she was at home all day and all she should have been doing was taking a bath and milk and doing her nails for you. It's like she's got tons of things to do for everybody and still be ready for you. Right. So we got to have more compassion and patience for our, our wives and, and help them find their own self-care. But going back to the pornography, you know, Many men, when they don't feel sexually satisfied, they justify using pornography instead, right? They're like, well, it's better than Zina. You basically create an unrealistic frame of reference for sexual expectations and sexual pleasure. And so when you go to try the real thing with your wife, you know, depending on who she is or your husband, um, you know, you're most likely going to be let down in some situations because pornography is unrealistic. And it's designed to just be about lust and impulsive pleasure and immediate satisfaction. It doesn't necessarily have um, the aspect of the human emotional connection, which is what you need for real sex, right? Or real making love. Making love, in my opinion, has spiritual and emotional layers to it besides the physical. The physical is just a key to get to that deeper essence of what is it about uh, having sex, right? Because I see sex as a gift of, you know, not use the word creation, uh, in the sense of it is a creative force or energy. And so that creative force or energy is a beautiful thing. And many of us are taught that it, you're not supposed to like it. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's actually a gift that we give. And your sexual charge, like if you're a single brother or you're a married brother or woman, uh, and you see someone who's, you're very attracted to out in public, that you feel this heightened charge in your body. But we're the ones that, you know, we, we, we transfer that into some mental fantasy or we, it gets locked into our, you know, groin area. And now we're just like obsessed with the sex part. But instead, one recommendation I would offer everybody is think about when you feel sexually attracted to somebody, look at it as this is a heightened energy or charge that you're feeling in your body. And it doesn't have to be, um, released only through a sexual medium, but that that's actually a creative force or power that Allah has put in the human being. And you can actually through breathing, uh, redirect it and give it away as a, as a gift. And so some, some brothers, for example, when they really, you know, don't fall into those temptations, like watching pornography, um, I, you know, we guide them to take that gift and give it away in a different way. Like that is energy that we know uh, can be transferred from another form because we know, you know, energy can't be uh, created or destroyed. So just transfer it. And we don't have to necessarily just transfer it into uh, something haram or, or watching pornography. Uh, so, so some of these brothers, they when they watch pornography, they basically um, are using it because they didn't feel that connection with their wives are, are satisfied, but they don't realize that the more you watch pornography as a crutch for when that happens, the less likely you will find that connection with your wife again anyways. And that's a big problem. And, and it's basically the deep, you know, hole that many uh, people in that journey find themselves in. And one of the leading causes, I think, to erectile dysfunction too, right? 
when right, you're with your partner. You're, yeah. you're, you're basically numb yourself, yeah. you know, um, and you need crazier and, and more uh, hardcore content yeah. um, because it's like any other drug, right? You're, the dosage that you used to take no longer gives you the same high. Yeah. And um, when you watch pornography, we know this, like the brain goes through similar activities as taking a drug. There's the dopamine rush. And, and of course, if you're masturbating and orgasming, you're actually associating this extremely wonderful natural feeling with something that is on your screen rather than the human being you chose yep. to spend the rest of your life with. Yep. Right. I'm glad Sim had the guts to like bring that elephant into the room. You know, cause that's, you know, a lot of times guys will be like, man, I, I want to, you know, I saw something on in a movie or something and I want to get it on and get down and dirty on the kitchen table and break a bunch of expensive China. <laughs> that's like, that, that becomes your thing. Like, yeah. And, <laughs> and you're like, you're surprised like, Oh my. And then you're like shocked that your wife doesn't want to like, break all this expensive china <laughs> you know i was like well yeah duh if you actually think about it logically like yeah why would you want to do that you know but in the movies yeah because they, they got budget for that you know to, to break break dishes and all this other stuff <laughs> you know as we uh wrap up kareem uh, like normally i always ask like on a subject like this i would ask the guest to like give me your takeaways but what i'm gonna do here today is i'm gonna like tell you what i think we should be doing you know from the guy's perspective and then you tell me if I'm off base or not. So number one, you know, we talked about the love tank, you know, investing into the relationship, like doing things, you know, for your spouse. So I, I definitely think that's something that we should always be like the selflessness that you're talking about. And it reminded me of something I heard. I read from a, um, I think a Sheikh Abdul Hayal Arifi. I think he is a, uh, he was a, a scholar from the, um, from the subcontinent, uh, a contemporary of Molana Ashraf Ali Tanvi. He talked about how in his entire life, a married life, he was, you know, he never really had expectations from his wife. He always was in a giving mood. And that also, like, led to her, you know, you know, reciprocating that back. And I, and I, I, I think the example that I had of my wife and my mom for the Umrah trip, et cetera, kind of touched upon that. Also reminded me a little bit about uh, the other takeaway was, like, spiritual development. Uh, we had Sheikh Rami and Sur on the show several months back. And he says that one of the prerequisites that he had he has for anyone who comes to him for marriage premarital counseling is, you know, a course on spiritual like spirituality and purification of the heart, purification of the heart. Sorry, because I, and I think a lot of that ties back to that because if you are working on purifying yourself spiritually through taskia taskia to nuts and training the soul, you're not gonna be like you're gonna be like lowering the gaze, which as a result cuts off you looking at other women and then like you know, fantasizing about other women, et cetera, and that, you know, th that dilemma, amongst other things. So th those are the two things I think people should take, brothers who are having issues with marriage should take away. W work on your soul, get right with Allah, and number two, you know, start, like, doing, you know, understand what makes your wife tick, you know, like, you know, a lot of women, I think it's service acts. It's acts of service. It's going out and, like, you know, making sure the house is clean and stuff, you know, M making sure that, you know, your bed sheets are done, etc. Because guys, you know, we could probably we'll get down and dirty in a dumpster. But women want like <laughs> they, they want everything to be they, they want something to be spotless because that's what they're thinking about. And then they're not going to get off if they got some you know other headache. You know that they're worried. They're worried. They're worried about like the bed sheets. You know, are dirty, etc. You know, am I off base here? That, that's kind of that's kind of my takeaway from this whole conversation. Well, it's, it's very um, important not to generalize, but at the same time, we have to because there are general themes, right? 
Um, so are all women and men the same with their needs and how you're going to approach them? No, but there's definitely a foundational framework that I think everyone should be if they're planning to get married or they are married. And that's one of the things that I try to do, you know, with, with my clients is, is actually teach them those things. Right. So like discussing gender roles and, and that the fact that there's 100 differences in just how the male and female brain is wired. Right. Many of us don't know this. So it's like, if you knew that you'll be able to understand the masculine and the feminine, feminine languages more precisely. And it's like any other science or art, you know, it's a skill that you you develop, right? There's a science and an art to marriage, just like there is to the dean. And so I think that you know, regardless who you are out there and how much even Islamic knowledge you have, you know, you got to actually get back to the human sciences, because this is something that in our community, unfortunately, you know, I always say like, okay, so we're the religion for all people in all times, but, you know, we're our masters in human sciences and social sciences. We don't have as many as we used to, you know, historically speaking, um, other, other groups and communities are actually on the forefront of human science. And when other people are, they're going to be defining the axioms and the frameworks that all of us will be indoctrinated by when we go to school, you follow. So this is important because, um, we can't act ignorantly anymore. We can't ignore, uh, these um, concepts and skills which are necessary for healthy human relationships you follow and so that's that's my whole thing and um, you know there's a lot to share about that and I, I would love to come back sometime and, and maybe you know have you know uh, uh, very specific things to offer but the first thing you know I would leave everybody with is you know learn more about what your husband and, and wife's needs are um, there's questionnaires online you're more than welcome to get in touch with me. I'm actually a national practice. Um, I do see people in office here in, in, in California, but I, I do video and phone consultations all over the country. So if you're in Chicago and, and that's something you feel would be useful, no problem. Like we can make that happen. Um, so I think that just learning the essential knowledge and skills um, through human scientists, people that have experience in relationships is, is very important. And the example I'll leave you with is, you know, God bless our, you know, imams and religious leaders. But, you know, if you have, for example, a woman who goes to an imam and says, hey, my husband's like a real jerk and sometimes he gets aggressive with me. And usually, you know, the response is, oh, well, tell him that the best of you are those who are best to your wives. Right. Uh, and that's wonderful. That's a wonderful jewel. But when you go home and you tell your husband that um, it's not really going to practically change anything. So people like myself and other professional helpers in this regard, they, they actually try to create um, a process, a realistic and, and practical process for how to live that concept, you see. And that's sometimes the difference, uh, the, the, the disconnect is we have a lot of wonderful concepts, but we actually don't know how to make them into real action items and experiences. And that's where human science comes in. All right, Jazakallah Khair Kareem for coming on. I mean, we definitely will take you up on that offer. We'll we'll have you on. I think there's a lot of material that we can cover with you, and like I, I think t- today was like kind of an outline of, of what we can talk yeah, to about Kareem in the future. Um, do you ha- do you have um, a sister in your at Noor that maybe could come on as a guest as well? Because I know we talked about we we definitely it, like illustrated talked about the guy's point of view from on marriage, and we and we do have a fee- we we have a sister's host as well. Do you have a do you have a sister that could come on as uh, and t- talk from that point of view as well, talking about this 
kind of the issues we talked about just so we understand that perspective i, I think it'll help us tie it all together yeah, usually the email after the episode airs is uh where's a female perspective and and rightfully so so if you have anything like that uh we would definitely absolutely i would, I would love to um look into it I mean, I think it would be really interesting as my 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 own wife, but <laughs> you know, because uh, no, because yeah. it's funny because every time we go somewhere and, and do something, everyone always goes up to her and is like, so especially the sister, so what is it like being married to him? You know, does he actually do everything he talks about? What's it like? And blah blah blah. And uh, it's fascinating because, of course, um, you know, I'm, the woman I'm married to is going to tell you a lot about how I really practice these things. And that's really important to me, you know, is, is, am I fulfilling, uh, these, these concepts and I will, you know, trying my best, but I can definitely, uh, give it some, some more thought. I don't know if she, she's, she's pretty shy, but you know, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, there are some, some sisters that come to mind who I think could, could definitely uh, be helpful in that regard. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. All right. Well, Jazakallah Kareem for coming on, taking the time out of your busy, uh, Saturday afternoon to watch the 49ers, like win another game. <laughs> my pleasure guys <laughs> uh, i'm a niners fan i've just been a train wreck so you know it's like like one in ten or something some disaster but you know i figured there's something we you know and like i guess in chicago we're not really i don't know if you follow the sports at all but in chicago we uh same story the bears are terrible and just like i think sim's entire studio down here is all is bears colors it's got a panoramic view uh f- photograph of soldier field but you haven't watched yeah. the game in like two years you said because it's so bad. No, no, no. I, I haven't watched uh, football in uh, almost two years. I was an insane, insane football fan. Like, uh, I would want to break furniture one day when the Bears would lose. <laughs> so I, I realized that that I needed a break from this and, uh, and and actually do something productive with my life. So yeah. So I, I've taken a hiatus and uh, well, started we'll, the Mad Mum Luke's. Well, yeah, the, the Bears and Niners are very similar in that the organization at the top is a complete train wreck. Yeah. And yeah. then when you have that situation, it's there's very little to look forward to. The Niners were actually really good, and then they just destroyed it because there's the ego problems and whatnot. Right. Uh, we, we can do another so, podcast about sports so analysis. Funny. Go ahead. This is so funny because everyone who knows me, I mean, I'm not into sports at all. So oh, I'm yeah. just like, this is all just going over my Most head. Most successful people head. aren't. That's what I, well, that's what I ended up learning. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hang on a second. None I, of these spend, successful spend people spend are into sports. Oh, they're into it, but it's very, they, they know how to manage it very well. Yeah. They, they can restrict it to 10 seconds a day or something. Yeah. They're not watching the NFL draft like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> or like going to games and stuff. All right. With as so for our listeners out there, Kareem, first of all, I appreciate you coming on. For our listeners out there, if there's any uh, questions or comments, and you probably will have a lot of feedback, I'm sure, after this podcast, a lot of hate mail for me, uh, <laughs> you can email us at themadmumlooks at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at themadmumlooks, like our Facebook page, subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, we're also on Stitcher, and give us a five-star rating if you haven't done so already because that helps us out big time. For our special guest, uh, Kareem Sirajuddin, and our and my co-host, Sheikh Amr Saeed, uh, for my co-host, Sim, and I'm Mahin, signing off for the Mad Mamluks. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.